everybody. Bees with Ben. You have to excuse my uh, voice today. I'm a little bit, uh, going to be a little bit of a weird head cold that's getting around. So I sound a little bit different than usual. Uh, so you have to bear with me. But anyway, I'm all good. Um, I'm still working away. The bees don't stop, so neither do I. So I'm really pumped for this episode today. This is um, just over 40 episodes ago. Uh, 40 episodes ago, I had his brother on. And it was really, really cool talking to Simeon Volkenberg. And so today I thought uh, we'll drag someone on. But before we bring him in, uh, we've got Paul on the line. But before we sort of chat to him and talk to him about everything, um, just wanted to say a big once again thank you for all those lovely messages I get you know, about the podcast. I'm so excited and really appreciative and I'm just full of humility and gratitude to each and every one of you. So um, if you've got any suggestions you want to hear anything, send me a text 0437077792. And if you're overseas, plus 61437077792. If you're overseas, send me a text message. I love all the messages. Uh, really appreciate it. When I get back to you, I've received it, and I'm, my heart's just absolutely full. So, so anyway, I'm super excited. Thank you, Paul. Paul Volkenberg, how you doing? Hey, Benny, how you doing, mate? Mate, it's absolute fantastic. I'm always good. It's only where the changes, except, <laughs> except, <laughs> except I'm a little bit nasally at the moment, but I'm pushing on, mate. Pushing on, brother. Yeah, good on you. Yeah, mate. mate yeah. Th- thank you so much. I'm really, really excited for this episode because it was about forty. It was the first one actually. That I did with your brother, yeah. with your brother, I think. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, forty plus ago, and um, been a great. Oh look, he, he's better on the on the with the gift of the gab than I am, but hey. <laughs> wow, well, I don't yeah. know about that. Well, let's let's just we're going to jump in there, and I'm going to ask the question. Right, who's, yeah. who's the better beekeeper, you or Simeon? Oh, you swear, definitely me. Of course, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you got to tell us why. No, 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 honestly, I actually. It's, it's interesting that um, you asked that. I, I don't. I don't. I, I think Simeon's more observant than me in some ways in a beehive. I, I really do. I've got to give him that. Um, but I think as a team, I think I think we're different. Actually, I yes. think that's partly why we make such a good team. Really, well, not 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 patting ourselves on the back, but um, we do work together pretty well. And I think it's because we are different. You know. That's yeah. That's a really good point. So, so what? So what do you do that's better than Simeon? Or what's what, what's your traits that you find that you um you do something better than him? Oh well, when it comes to running a business, I'm no good at all with bookwork and computers and that type of thing. I'm I'm virtually you know illiterate when it comes to accounting and and that. So he can handle that side of the business quite well. At the same time, um you know when it comes to mechanical side of things, I'm probably a bit better than he is just because of what I've been exposed to with my line of work over the years. And um, with the beekeeping, I think, I think we're on the, on the same page pretty much. Okay. Um, um, yeah. And, and when it comes down to difficult decision-making, like, you know, sometimes you, you don't know what to do with the bees, um, we, we normally just sit down and have a good old manner about it and, um, and come up with a, a decision that we're both happy with, you know? So, well, I, I, now, yeah. I, I remember, Paul, if now, correct me if I'm right or wrong here, but does, does Simeon have a truck licence? Yeah, he does, but only he's only got the, the smaller licence. 
the smaller license. Right? Let's, let's talk yeah. about your, let's talk about your big license, Paul. This is this is about you, mate. This is this episode. This is about Paul. It's not about Simeon. We've been that was 40, 40 episodes ago. This is about you, my friend. So let's what's, tell me your, what's your, what's your what's your truck license. Well, it, well, it's a bit of a crazy setup. We've got three trucks, but he can only drive one of them. So, oh, fair um, enough. yeah. So we've, we've, it's just a matter of you know of working around it. It's not not that he, he can't get one. He just can't be bothered. So. What's he, um, what's he got? Has he got a small, rigid uh, truck yeah, license? Just he? a, yeah, he's got a medium, rigid. Yeah, medium rigid. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and so why? Let me ask you a question because we can talk about him. He's not. He's not next year. <laughs> we can talk about him. No, 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 no. He's miles away. He's over the other side of the country. <laughs> okay. So he, yeah, he'll probably listen. Anyway. He'll listen to this and have a laugh. So, so you're, now speaking of truck license, because obviously as a commercial beekeeper, that's a pretty a very important thing. So you've got a. Well, oh, I've, I've got the, the heavy articulated, like, you know, one, um, what you call a semi license, I suppose, in, in, in simple terms. But, um, not, not that I can really drive one. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure you can, Paul. So, so now with the, so talk about truck license, because that's a, obviously really important with, um, as I said, with, with moving bees on a, on a big sort of scale, migratory scale. Now, I've I've got a heavy rigid truck license, but you've got a, is it same in South Australia that you've got to have that for like twelve months before you can get your um, heavy articulated? I think it is. I think yeah. I think in rough. I think I think there's different things you can do, and there's so many rules these days. I don't to be honest. I don't really keep up with it, but yeah, it's something along those lines. Yeah, and, yeah. And and well, obviously, this is another important fact. You know, this is. When, when you're moving bees, you're allowed to – obviously, once again, there's rules and regulations. Now, the big one is you're not allowed to drive for more than is it eight or ten hours per day. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, 12 um, under basic uh, uh, standard fatigue management. Um, to be honest, yeah, the logbook, that would be one of the biggest bones of my life because okay. it doesn't work with livestock and certainly not livestock in, in night hours, which they keeping fundamentally is. Um you just learn to work around it as best you can. It, um, it, it, it can make life fairly difficult at times, but you know it's it's not like it's not like we're commercial truck drivers. We're not on the road all all day every day in our trucks. You know, it's only it's only a couple of weeks every couple of months, pretty much. Yeah, true. But so okay, let's. So how do you tackle that? Do you can you share the driving, or do you just got to go? Okay, you've done your twelve hours. Um, you've got to pull over. You've got a load of bees on. You've got four more hours to go. Do you just got to just you're gonna have a sleep for four to six hours or something? Oh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not supposed to say this on air, am I? <laughs> no, no, of course you can. No one. No one listens to this. <laughs> no one listens to this well, podcast. Uh, you learn. You, you learn. You do learn to work your way around it um, as best you can. Yes. Um, fundamentally, it comes to. A lot of planning, a bit of planning ahead. So if you know you've got a long, say if we're moving from say Keith to the west coast or something like that, that's twelve hours in the truck, yep. um, or near enough to. Um, you've got to get to Keith the day before, kind of thing. Have your rest break, then go and load, then and then do the trip type of thing. Um, as far as things going wrong, like breakdowns and stuff like that, there's really very little you can do because you've got a load of bees on a truck. You can't just pull up in a truck park, can you? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Sometimes you have to do some creative, creative 
book, bookkeeping. Yeah, well, which, <laughs> but, is, um, which is understandable. You know what I mean? You've got livestock. And as long as you're safe, that's that's the most important thing. And those are that, That's exactly safe. right. And it's been That's smart. exactly right. It's about being Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're at that. I actually got a fine one time for, for having had a sleep. And I said to the policeman, I said, well, what, did, what did you want me to do? And I said, he said, I said, you know, I said, you know, I can't drive fatigued. And he said, no, you can't do that either. And I said, what did you want me to do? And he said, oh, you did the safe thing, but I'm still going to write you out a fine anyway. Oh, really? It, it's, it's a crazy setup, but, you know, you you just got to deal with it as best you can. Yeah, that's that's true. And that's true. You do your best best you can. That's um, that's so true. And what about stories? Have you had any, you mentioned about breakdowns, any funny stories, any any sort of crazy things where emus have jumped into the cabin with you or anything crazy? <laughs> No, very little. I, no, it's, um, I normally, well, fortunately, you know, I've been blessed to keep it pretty safe so far, and and that's um, that's well, I hope it stays that way. You, you you do come across crazy crazy things when you when you're on the road a lot, I guess. But um, yeah, it's um, it's generally, uh, to be honest, the the life on the road, it's got its challenges. It's got its um. You know, it's drawbacks. You don't really have much of a home life. But um, I actually love it. Like, I was in the roadhouse tonight, and uh, a really good mate of mine I hadn't seen. I used to actually, he was a boss of mine. Oh, scary to think how long ago now. Probably 15 years ago. I hadn't seen him for years. He walks in the roadhouse, you know, and, and we have a good old catch-up. And um, that's one of the beautiful things about about having a bit of a sort of a nomadic, half-nomadic sort of a lifestyle. You, you 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 do get to know a lot of people and and meet a lot of people and it's it's a it's a real real enjoyment to be yeah. honest. It's it's so true. It's like a different. It's a different world. That's probably really the easiest way of saying it. Would you agree, Paul? That's a different world. Being it a, is. Yeah, a truck driver and and there's this there's these things that happen. You know, when people are asleep at two three in the morning and you're moving bees or there's truck drivers because I think there's a little sign that I forget what it says, but it's like you know truckies keep. Australia moving or something. It's something along those lines. And it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. It is. Mm. Yeah, it is. Um, and and that, that, uh, that sort of mateship, I guess you could call it, of, of, uh, in a way it's sort of a dying breed, but there's still enough of it out there that you, when you're on the road, you have got that sort of a mateship and you look after each other, you look after, scratch each other's backs. And, um, and you know, it's, it's a, it's a good thing. And, um, a lot of the time, I guess I'm I'm in fairly I'm not on in, on on main routes as much, but um, that's a beautiful thing too. You know, nothing like cruising down a uh, you know a dirt road and a truck on a full moon. You know, a night when there's a full moon, it, it's the things you the, the scenery you see, the the people you meet, the the places you go. It, it really is quite wonderful oh, and um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely amazing, and, that, and that's what sometimes we take these things for granted. And I love the way you appreciate that. You know, what I mean, something so so small yet so big, and just you know, having to see the moon in this landscape. You know, you've sent me photos over the, over the years of you know the landscapes, mm. and I'm you know I might be checking someone's hive in Collingwood, which is you know just on the outskirts of the CBD of Melbourne. And yeah, yeah, I, I do, I got, yeah. My scenery skyscrapers and and so forth, which is which has got its own set of beauty. But but what you see in the country is just amazing. So 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 now speaking of that, obviously, sort of what challenges do you find with bees personally? Is there you know any particular challenges that you find? Yeah. Uh, well, the first one that pops to mind, um, the biggest challenge I think facing our industry is um, 
is learning to adapt with changing farming practices. Okay. Like yep. The changes we've seen in the last, oh, you know, 10 years um, even um, are, are quite dramatic. And, and nutritionally, it's, it's a big challenge to us in, the, in that um, broadacre cropping is becoming such a, a fine art and, and farming margins are becoming so small that farmers are forced to crop, you know, every, every, every acre every year and weed management has to be perfect. Consequently, I think we're seeing, it's almost like a, a silent encroachment on our, on our industry um, with regards to, to nutrition. And I think that is probably has to be one of our biggest challenges. Like when, when we uh, bought our first uh, big truck, well, we had a, a smaller truck. The, the reason we bought a bigger truck was because we saw that challenge um, and, and came to realise we're having to move bees a long distance in a big hurry just for pollen flows. Okay, yep, yep, okay. And um, there's no money directly in the beekeeper's pocket from, a, from, a, from building bees on, on a pollen fly. Um, so it's important that we keep our, for, for us, for our business, we have to keep that, that moving cost down so that we can afford to, you know, move these 500 k's to put them on pollen. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I definitely feel that's our biggest challenge. Interesting. So, so when, so talking about some nutrition and pollen, so, so you'll move your bees to an area, you know, to grab that pollen so these bees will build up. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. And, yeah. And what sort of what sort of pollen floral sources are we talking here, Paul? Oh, um, say Lincoln weed would be one in in autumn time. Uh, sometimes even just uh, you know spudweed like potato weed or um, or um, most of those weeds that used to be very common, increasingly now you virtually don't see. Um, particularly in autumn time, we always try. Although not only autumn, uh, late spring and, and autumn are probably the two main times we really concentrate on trying to get our bees on a good pollen fly. Yep, yep. Um, because I firmly believe that you'll see um, the results of good nutrition in bees for, uh, I reckon, at least 18 months, like two, two seasons. If you, if you make a mistake with a load of bees on, on poor nutrition and, and run the nutrition down in that, in, in that eight period, um, you'll you'll be able to pick that up for another eighteen months. You'll see that you've, you know, you're suffering in in lower honey production and, and the rest. It's an amazingly um, it's almost like a I don't know if you could call it a closed system, but yeah, yeah. the nutrition and, and the way you look after a load has such big ramifications for so long um, that yeah it. You, you notice it a lot more if you're if you're running. See, see, we used to run loads of seventy-two. Well, we still do, but we often now put down two loads of seventy-two in one drop. Okay. And those two loads could have been running next to each other for eighteen months, and you can still pick a difference. One one will always be slightly better than the other. So it can only be what you did eighteen months ago that's still affecting that load of bees. How interesting! And, uh, that's fascinating. Yeah, it is. It is. It, it was. Um, it's a very, very good learning curve when we started doing that because we came to realise how much we're affecting, you know, the, the next season by what we did this season. Love it. That's, that's fascinating. That, that's really – I've never heard anyone talk about this. And that's and yeah, for the listeners, yeah, yeah to, to actually really absorb that. And that can, that can happen in an urban environment too. You know I mean, it's sort of on a, on a different oh, sure. level. Yeah, but it certainly can. 100%. 
Mm. That's interesting. And um, they're talking obviously challenges. Um, do you? I love the way you and Simi and your brother are like really active on Facebook and helping people. So my hats off to you. you now you guys are absolutely working your guts out. You know, what I mean, there's if there's anyone that oh. works harder than me, it's used to because you guys work hard. But I just no. Oh, oh, you guys work hard. Well, well, thanks, Ben. But no, look, um, oh, I guess we've been very, very fortunate um, to, to, to get to know some, some marvellous older beekeepers. Unfortunately, oh, off the top of my head, two, two of the ones I would have called some of the best beekeepers in our state, we don't, we don't have with us now. Um, they've passed away. But, um, you know, some of that knowledge and some of that passion that, that, that um, they managed to, to hand on to me and my brother um, if if there's someone that we can can help with with some of that, or, or it's, a, it's, a, it's an honour to be able to, to be able to hand that on, you know. To um, you know, we've been we've been helped, and and to be able to forward that on is a is a real honour. And and if it sets someone in good stead with their beekeeping, you know, it puts a smile on my face. Oh, of course, that's and that's a that's yeah. a beautiful trait. Like that's a human. Beautiful human trait to have, and and you know, and it's people people appreciate that, and and I do what you do, and see what you guys do. So, and you mentioned about being a being a good beekeeper. What's three things that, you, in your eyes, your opinion, three things that make a good beekeeper? Oh, three things. Um, well, the first one that comes to mind, the the. the the best beekeepers I've known, they're extremely observant about nature. Okay. Like, in fact, one of the best sayings I've ever learned from one of these old fellas, he's our old mate, uh, old Lee Duffield. He, he says, you've got you've to listen to nature so close. You've got to have your ears so close to the ground that you can hear the ants running. Yeah, I love that. And that, that, that portrays it very well. And um, I, I must admit, I'm not good at it. I... Uh, I get focused on something and I, I don't notice everything else going on around me. Whereas the good beekeepers I've known, they notice everything. You know, what the birds are doing, what the ants are doing, what the trees are doing. And it, it all forms part of a big picture, which is very instructive. And, um, yeah, that, uh, that's the first one that comes to mind. Three things. Yeah. Um, oof. Um, that's a big question, Ben. Um, it is, isn't it? Why, why, why you're thinking of that? It is. In a way, it all sort of ties into that one that one thing. But, um, yeah. It's interesting. While you're thinking about that question, it's interesting because you can have someone with the best-looking bee boxes that just, like, you know, shiny, painted, look beautiful, but the bees are, you know, they, they're not sick, but they just don't have that spark about them on the inside. But then you can see, and I'm sure you'll agree with me here, you can see the most rattiest boxes. You know what I mean? They're like yeah. not f- falling apart, yeah. now breaking the rules. You know, the apricot of conduct, but <laughs> just old ratty yeah. boxes. And you go and you open up the bees, and they're they're spunky and sharp and vigorous. And Isn't that true? Yeah, you can see that. So it's actually, and that's the old saying: never judge a book by its cover. And I, and I strongly believe that with bees too. You know, it's what's inside the box. So um, it's very yeah, true. It is. Yeah. So what's yeah. Our, what's number two? Number two for you. Number so, two, I think. One one that comes straight to mind is dealing with people. I don't think you have to be a real people person, but um, the good beekeepers I've known they're they're very good at communicating. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. in our day to day, you know, working with property owners and 
uh, national parks or, or whatever it is, you, you want to be able to communicate clearly and, and succinctly. And um, that's, that's a difficult thing to do too, as a matter of fact. Um, the other thing which comes straight to now that, now that you've given me a second to, to think, another one that I think is very important is um, is running a, a, a tight ship with, with regards to business. Okay. Not running beyond your means um, and and planning for a rainy day. There's nothing worse, in my observation, of watching uh, beekeepers operate than um, uh, treading water financially yes. because it, um, it ends up resulting in beekeepers being very hard on their bees to try and get that, you know, trying to get that extra round of honey off because they need to pay the, the bank man. And it becomes a cycle where the bees suffer and and consequently, honey production goes down, and it's it's a very difficult situation to get yourself out of. And, and we've been there early on in early on with our business, where you know you're desperate for that extra few IBCs of honey, so you go and extract late on a honey flow where your better judgment would tell you you shouldn't be, and um, you can knock a load of bees so hard and take so long to pick them up from from having been sort of financially forced to do something like that. Um, with, if you can manage to, to keep enough fat in reserve to not have to work your bees harder than they should be worked, it, it's an enormous advantage. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's, you know, it's the old saying, slow and steady wins, wins the race. You know what I mean? It's kind of... and 100%. Yeah, and I think, I think sometimes too, which I'll ask you the question in a second, but sometimes too there seems to be a bit of a oh, status thing sometimes. Who's got more hives and who's doing this and who's got the... You know, the bigger wheels or whatever. It's this sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Very true. But we're all running our own race. And this is the thing, you know. No matter if you've got one hive, you know, it's – it's um, you can learn from that one person with one hive. You know what I mean? It's it's fantastic. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, one of the best things I've ever ever told about bees, um, there's this old bloke and he, he had a group of us. He took out some of his old stomping grounds in the Mallee. He was showing us some of the old trees he used to work in that. And – um. He, he, he aimed it at one particular person in the group, which, um, it, oh, without complicating the story, he, he just said to us, he said, he said, with bees, he said, if you're in it for the love of it, he said, you'll do all right out of it. Yes. He said, if you're doing it for a quick buck, he said, forget it. Forget and that it, is definitely. so true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, that is very true. It's, um, and so what's your thoughts? Do you find, you know, being on Facebook and, and on, on some groups and helping people, do you think there's a bit of a divide between the, the commercial beekeeper and the and the hobbyist beekeeper? Yeah, unfortunately, I I, I do feel that. I, I I um to be honest, I'm forever. I wouldn't say sticking up for, but I don't. I can't think of a better word. Sticking up for the hobbyist, um, um, or, or amateur or whatever the, the correct term is. I feel that. By and large, we can, we can only talk in generalities. The the amateurs love their bees, and and um, probably if anything, tend to kill them with corn. Yes. Um, rather rather than you know, the the commercial beekeepers tend towards you know trying to run up for a well a commercial show, and 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 sometimes tend to lose that love of of the bees themselves. Um, I feel that the hobbyists are the uh, one of our greatest assets as a commercial industry, and I think as a commercial industry, we should nurture the, that because 
there's not a, a commercial beekeeper that hasn't started uh, beekeeping as a hobby. Yes. So all, all commercial operations start as a hobby. And it, so the, the commercial industry, to me, certainly seems to be an ageing industry. We need um, not just more beekeepers, but good, um, you know, passionate ones coming into the ranks. Yes, with new ideas and being innovative and, and looking outside the box and looking outside the, you know, uh, you like that one? Looking outside the box. Uh, but looking outside <laughs> the box with... Um, <laughs> Unintended. Yes, with, uh, you know, different ideas and, and things like that. So, and, and as you said, you just, exactly. hit the, you just hit the nail on the head, Paul. We all started off with one. That's what everyone's going to exactly remember. Right. We all start off with one hive. That's We all did. We start off with one. That's exactly so. right. Because I firmly believe that... Uh, a, a, a well-grounded commercial industry in in small operations. You know, um, I don't I don't think you can effectively run everything I've asked, and it, it, the same works for the big operators in the in the east. From what I've from what I've asked them, even works for the very big operators in America. It pretty much comes back to five hundred hives per guy. Yes. Yeah. Um, me and my brother and our one workman, we're not at that level. We're only running. I don't know, 15 loads of 72, I think it is, with the three of us. Um, but we're a little bit backward. We've still got an extracting van and, and things like that, so it's a little bit more labour-intensive. But um, I think the, the small um, professional beekeepers are, are the best thing we've got as an industry. Mm. Well, well, not, not to talk, I'm not talking against the bigger guys at all, but I think they're the core of our, our industry. Yes, Yes. Well, here's one, here's one for you to, to think about and for the listeners. Um, I just recently, the, the stats that are in, that so in Victoria, there's approximately 13,000 registered beekeepers. So that includes yeah. hobbyists and commercials. So 13,000. But do you know in, it's been just over a year now, there's 3,000 new beekeepers in Victoria. Wow. Wow. So now, no. isn't that incredible? That's stunning. There's 3,000 new registered beekeepers in the last 12 months. In the last, yeah, just over 12 months. So it's, it's like that, that stats where it's, that's not exactly, but it's about that, you know what I mean? And when you look at it, which is now, I think, obviously, COVID has changed the way we do things. It's changed the world. And obviously, we're, we're, I think where people, we're looking at things differently. We're looking, we want to be a bit more holistic, a bit more natural. We want to know where our food comes from. We want to be better for the environment. So, and I think bees really do feel that gap, you know, and we want to... That's amazing. It is an incre- it's incredible. So it's, yeah. it's absolutely amazing. And it's these people with you know, new ideas and you, know, you, you go back five, six years ago with a flow hive, you know, you go back then, yeah. you know, this is idea is to, um, um, you know, to change things. And that's, that's changed how people keep bees, you know what I mean? People can get into bees and, okay, some people... You know, for them, against them, whatever. We won't talk about that. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's brilliant, though. You know, what I mean, and that's where I think it comes with a new idea. Mm. That's what I always say: increased awareness. Like around the time, and I can't help thinking it was because of the fly off and the publicity it got. Um, around that time, that sort of emerged. The um, the the publicity around the bee industry was has just been ever increasing, and it's an amazing thing. You know, I've gone to a um. A conference in the state where there was a woods and forestries minister uh, presenting one of the um, one of the talks, and his 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 young lad had beehives. He was setting his his lad up with bees, only as a hobby. But 
how marvellous is that for us in the industry? To have a a minister that that directly, um, you know, got oversight over something so core to our business as Woods and Forest, and his his young lad has has beef. Like, it's it's such a good thing. And and we're seeing more more of that. It is. It is. It's so good, the awareness, and it's teaching people... Yeah, you know I mean, it's there's so many different things. The thing is that you know the bees are the 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 gift that keeps on giving. You know, I mean, you look at propolis and the, there's research and raw jelly mm. and, and various honeys and uh, you know I think Jarrah honey now has got all this activity that they're researching as equivalent to manuka yeah. and and so forth. So here's a question. Obviously, this is sort of not this bit of a doom and gloom question, but you know, looking at something that the world has that we don't have in Australia, being Varroa destructor. Yeah. What? What's? Do you guys just out of interest on a commercial aspect? Have you put or thought about, you know, planning for that if if it does happen or when it does happen? Have you guys thought about that? Has that been a subject that you've gone, okay, this is how we're going to treat this and how we're going to deal with it? Oh, you know, occasionally we have talked about it. Um, it it's it's going to make our life very difficult for a for a, a period of time. Um, if we sort of when we've sort of looked at what's happened overseas, say New Zealand or wherever it's come in, it it doesn't seem to have in the in the long run changed much about commercial beekeeping. In a sense, it's made it more difficult and yes. presented challenges. But it's probably, in a sense, presented opportunities as well. Okay. Um, um, from from the little bit I've I've sort of picked up. Um, oh, not looking forward to it, Ben. Not at all. Um, you know, if I could come back to the hobbyist, this is one one area where I feel as an industry we're not tapping into a very good resource we've got anywhere near well enough. And that is, if you look at our um, all our big cities. Where our our hobbyists uh, are um, concentrated, they are all around our ports of entry, which is where we're going to get incursions. And mm. the, um, we've got a fantastic resource there if we could only um, tap into it. And I know the hobbyists uh, or amateurs would be uh, excited to be on board with uh, with border security in that regard, monitoring to to um, to survey for any potential unnoticed incursion you know that was that was what happened in townsville where where you and you and uh, i originally met the, the hobbyists there weren't they ben they were they were extremely instrumental in containing that incursion exactly they, they certainly were and they were really really proactive and just all over it weren't they they were yeah yeah, yeah fantastic yeah so, so, so is it something? So you're just gonna sort of, I guess, sort of deal with it because obviously, yeah, it's just gonna be one of those. Yeah, it's gonna be a tricky one. The re- the reason why I bring it up, I'm just in my studio, sort of talking, um, about it. And I've actually bought, and I'm gonna do a video on it because obviously, well, I think it's the um, is it the Purple Hive Project, um, where they've yeah, I have heard of that. Yes, yeah. yeah, Purple Hive Project, and uh, what I'll do is I'll put that in the show notes too. So Purple Hive Project. So it's about, um. Obviously, it's a viral mite detection um, where they, you know, trying to find, as you said, you know, the, the various ports around Melbourne. But I've got, oh, yeah. I remember that now. Yeah, yes, yeah. And I've, I've, I've got here. I'm going to do a video on it. A um, uh, oxalic acid vaporization. You know, I've got half a kilo of oxalic acid and a little vaporizer. I'm going to do a video and show people 
how are you going to treat it? Just a, it's a, one way of treating, and it's I think it's deemed as being right. organic. But it's yeah, just sort of to be prepared because I think if if we look at you know, I mean, and I don't like banging on about too much, but, you know, coronavirus, you know, I mean, if we, mm. we know, obviously we're adjusting and shifting, but if we knew now, if we know now what we go back in time and, and know now then, we could really have sort of changed things differently. And I think it's sort of being prepared. And that's, and I suppose that goes oh. back to that philosophy is what you're saying, being prepared when you're just early on discussions about, you know, be prepared for 18 months down the track. So have good pollen on your hives, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. What you're saying is like forewarned, forearmed, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I've, I've just hopped on on Facebook and uh, given that Purple Hive Project a, lot, a like. Yeah, I, I haven't looked them up before. That looks very interesting. It is. Yeah, yeah. I encourage people. I'll uh, I'll put that in the show notes so people can check that out because it's something which is that first point. Because when was I think it was 2018 in Melbourne? It was a shipping container come from I believe Texas and it had a wild hive on it. Uh, the captain called yep. in. He was seven kilometres out at sea and called it in. They killed the hive and they done tested it and it did have Roa destructor. So, so mm, um, that's, and, that's very correct. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important that people, you know, sometimes out of sight, out of mind, and particularly hobbyist beekeepers. I believe in New Zealand, the year two thousand, when they uh, the Roa might come to the north and south islands and spread right through. That forty percent of the hobbyist beekeepers fell off the perch, so they stopped keeping bees. Yeah, that's bad enough. Mm. Yeah. So, so um, now the, the talking um, about obviously seasons and things. So, so yeah. your perspective. I don't think we sort of spoke to, with Simeon, but but talk us through a twelve month season. How you guys prepare because uh, there is a video and also to um, Volkenberg Aprils. I think on your, your Facebook page, isn't it? Volkenberg Aprils. Uh, I think it's Volkenberg Aprils. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll put once again. I put the links in there. Check it out because. You've got this yeah, cheers, awesome, yeah. awesome machine. I think I think you had over twenty thousand views or something. This of when you're putting the boxes, <laughs> that little air compressor. Yeah, I haven't seen, I haven't looked, seen how many likes oh, that's got for a while. It's, yeah, it's, it's had um, So I try, I try and put videos on there. Or my brother, he's, I don't actually do it. But he puts them on, but sometimes I, I send him one to put up there, and uh, we try and put ones up that might be of some use to somebody. You know, like yeah, it's. Uh, it's all well and good showing photos of bog trucks and stuff like that, but um, <laughs> stuff that can actually be useful is, um, you know, if something we've we've learned or been shown or whatever, if we can, yeah, put it out there for someone to make use of, it's good. Oh, it's awesome. It's putting boxes together. So I'll, I'll briefly describe it for people. Once again, I'll put it in the notes, but it's um, it's like an air compressor. So it pushes it all in tight. And the way, it's awesome, the way you put those boxes together. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah, that, well, there again, that wasn't really my idea. I sort of pinched that idea off another old beekeeper. He had one that did like half a box at a time, and I sort of thought about it. And I reckon I can, I can make one that does a whole box at a time. And, and so I kind of pinched his idea and modified it a bit and, and come up with that. And yeah, I really enjoyed doing a bit of that sort of stuff in a, on a cold day in the shed, you know, late at night with a beer and welding away. It's quite a lot of fun, really. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so, 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 <laughs> yeah. so, season. So, when you, so I'm interested to know. Do you have your set routines pretty much? Obviously, as you said, you've been observant and, and working the land and seeing. But do you have, okay, you know, you mentioned Keith, you know, I mean, you're going to take bees there for, say, Lusoon or whatever you do. Do you have a pretty, yeah. pretty sort of routine that goes year on, year in, year out? Oh, well, we sort of do. We sort of adapt and change a little bit of the season and, and the opportunities that present themselves. The two things that we are pretty much strictly tied into is almond pollination and and uh, lucent seed pollination. They're the two 
things that pretty much our whole year has to move around. That, those won't change. Um, not that we necessarily need to do almond pollination, but it saves you some years, you know what I mean? Um, uh, so then other than that, it's basically, yeah, well, because farmers rely on, 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 those, on our bees for, the, for those crops, um, we do take that very seriously and try and, and have very good hives, strong, healthy hives for almond and loosened pollination. Um, so in that sense, they do sort of control our year a bit and, and um, affect the decisions we make. Particularly with regards to nutrition and 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 the uh, the, the other uh, crops or trees or whatever we put bees on to make sure that they're not going to be detrimental to the bees, so that we're not going to have poor hives for doing those pollination events. If that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, other than that, so yeah, pretty much normally a normal year would we sort of consider starts our season, or I think pretty much starts on the on the. Almond pollination, and then we'll go to canola and beans, like favour beans. Oh yeah, yep. Um, normally, uh, we can work a bit of mallee or a bit of uh, purple vetch in in um, oh, what's that? Probably early to mid spring. Yep. Um, we'll often work um, red gums in in uh, December, but um. December and January, or mid, mid December through to January, we're always on loosened loosen seed pollination because that's a we don't we don't get paid for that pollination service at all. The, the, our payment is the honey we get, okay, and um, it's a reliable, pretty reliable honey yielder. Um, and uh, then yeah, then we go to a bit of tea tree or whatever else we can find in autumn, and um, then onto our winter site. So. You know, winter sites are normally either a bit of uh, winter mallee or sometimes, uh, depends a bit. Probably normally I'd say we end up on the banks here, like the, the Ornata. Okay. So I was checking out that today and it, it needs, a, needs a little bit of a drink, but um, it needs a frost. It's got too many other little, I don't know what you call them, but they're like a little bug that gets in the cob and um, the first frost knocks them off. So oh, okay. Yeah. Or like a beetle type thing or like a bug, like a... Yeah, it's more like a little weevil type. Well, not a weevil, like a... Almost like a... Um, I don't know how to describe it, really. Like a little little flea, almost. Is it, is it red and black? Got like little... No, no, they're just a brownie, dark brownie colour. Interesting. Yeah, but I've got one cob today because there's not many that are starting to open. I've got this one cob and it's just dry as a lime burner's boot. It hasn't got any nectar in it at all and... Had thousands of these in there, and I thought, well, I reckon if it wasn't for them, I reckon there might have been a sweat of nectar in it, but they get it before the bees do if, until the first frost. Um, so I've been told, and it seems to seems to accord with what I've observed. Uh, the first frost knocks them off, and yeah, and, and I think it also triggers the banks here to start yielding nectar a bit better. Interesting. Okay, that's interesting. Now, I'm going to ask you... Yeah. One last question because I know it's uh, it's getting late and uh, you've been <laughs> work, working yeah. your, butt, your butt off. As I said, I've, seriously, you, you, guys, you guys work hard. You know what I mean? It, it's, we're, it's, we're talking buddies, man. I'll, I'll keep going all night. <laughs> That's my <laughs> Well, it, here's a question for you. Is what, what's your favourite type of honey? As a beekeeper, you know I mean? We've all got our little favourites. But is there one particular honey that, you, oh. that you'll have in your coffee and your tea and your, on your cake and so? Is there one particular variety that you for prefer? For sure. 
Yeah, without a doubt, it's red gum for me. I think that's probably partly because that's what we had a fair bit off of when we were kids, like we had a yes. few guys for a hobby. Um, but yeah, the red gum to me is just, it's not only the flavour, like the flavour is just, it's like a, a clean, crisp, beautiful flavour. But it's also like the aftertaste. Um, the normal go-to honey for the, you know, the, the favourite sort of blue gum is what, or I think in Victoria you call it yellow gum, don't you? Yeah. We call it blue gum. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you, yeah. You, you or whatever it's called, yeah. Um, if, you, if you have a spoon of that just by itself and then think about it, a couple of minutes later you'll either be going for a drink of water or another spoon of honey because you can taste this like musty aftertaste. Interesting. Whereas red gum to me doesn't have that at all. It's, it just leaves you this, it's just a perfectly beautiful, clean aftertaste. Yeah, and balanced and, too. And I reckon, yeah. Yeah, it's dark, but it's a little bit stronger. You, you can use a little bit less of it, uh, but it can be a bit overpowering on your comfort or whatever. But, um, yeah, by far, that's my favourite anyway. But um, It's interesting, yeah. It's interesting, Paul, that you sort of mentioned about, you know, the memories of childhood, you know what I mean, and how food, you know, and these flavours and, like, you know, red gum honey has got this nostalgic type type memories that you bring, you know what I mean? It's the same as for me. I remember the old man buying buying honey in, in tins. Um, I'm not that old too, by the way. It's a, But it's it used to get in tins. <laughs> and then obviously yeah. progressed into, you know, into buckets. But it's um, yeah. But it's interesting how you talk about flavours. Sometimes I'll get a smell. I might be near a, a wild hive in a tree or or you get a smell. And it's like you just mentioned with the, the red gum honey that being that nostalgic yeah. sort of, yeah. Yeah, no, well, some of the most amazing stories I've heard about bees and honey flows and that type of thing is, is from the old guys in the day, in the days when the, they used to get good red gum flows. I, I, honestly, in the times when commercial beekeeping, I've probably seen one good red gum fly. Yep. But the, you've never seen a hive until you've seen a, a strong hive on, red, on yes. a good red gum. <laughs> yes. It's yeah. just, it's incredible, isn't it? Oh, like, they the, bubble. They just bubble away. Yeah. <laughs> The smell too, like you can walk into the apron in the evening and it's almost overpowering, like the sickly sweet smell. It's it is. so strong. It is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the old guy, our, our old, our late mentor, he used to talk about working the red gums up in, uh, all those stations at the time. Now they're, um, uh, national parks, but Ark Rawl and Wilpena Pound stations in the, in the Flinders. And, um, it was when he was a young bloke, he was, he was camped up there with his bees. And uh, he got up during the night and he, he had a tent and he, he walked out of the, out of his tent and he walked towards the creek line. Because I don't know if you've ever been in the Flinders Bend, but it's like very rugged, very mountainous sort of country, but it's bare and barren with these big red gums in the creeks, in the creek line. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. Quite stunning in its own way. And, yeah, he walked towards the creek line and, and there was a full moon. And in the uh, middle of the night, bees start smacking him on the face. And he, yeah. uh, he couldn't work out what was going on. Well, they were flying full tilt all night. And now, instead of using the normal way the hives navigate, you know, fly straight to the honey fly, they were using the, the tree line to fly up and down the creek to navigate their way back to the hive. That's wow. what they couldn't see. In the moonlight, in the full moon. Wow. And And he always used to say the amount of honey that bees can pack into a, into a hive on, on red gums is, is incredible. And he's right because the, the most honey I've, I've ever seen, me and my brother have ever extracted from, from a load of bees, is on red gums like they blow the combs out that much fatter, and they just they just jam it in. It's um it's a beautiful thing to see. Oh, that's awesome! Let's love it. Yeah, love it. And do you know what? On that note, 
I'm going to go make myself a cuppa. A, oh, good mate. Yeah. <laughs> an English breakfast tea, lots of milk because I, I grew up next to a dairy, so lots of milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice big spoon of red gum and honey. Well, that, that might that might help chase away that uh, that, that scratchy throat you've got, eh? Oh no, no. Hopefully that's that's probably right there exactly. <laughs> well, Paul, you're a legend. Good on you, mate. Yeah, oh, mate. I don't know about that. Oh, no, yeah, you're good right. On you're right. Too good. That was absolutely brilliant, and it's uh, you know what I think we're, you're the longest episode I've ever had. It's um, we could we could have talked for ages, but no, seriously, thank yeah, you. Yeah, we could. And I look forward to seeing you in WA at the uh, the conference over there. Oh, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, we'll see you then, Ben, and keep safe in the meantime, mate. No, Rizzo, you take care. I look forward to seeing you. Stay safe. See you, Paul. What an absolute legend. Uh, absolutely love him. He's a good man. And thank you once again, everyone. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and uh, give it a review on iTunes. It would be amazing. Take care, everyone.